Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast capable of busting a bunker under the bunker you just busted. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Iron Man 2. So, delving once again into the dark, misty history (laughs) of Iron Man, we have to talk about probably the most influential Iron Man story until we get around to Civil War, which looks nothing like the movie, so, you know, we'll deal with that (laughs) when we get there. But, and that storyline is Demon in a Bottle. Yeah, I've heard of that. The big, you know, Tony Stark struggling with alcoholism storyline, right? He doesn't so much struggle as hold his nose and jump in for most of it, honestly. <laughs> he's pretty he's pretty fine with uh with starting the day with lots of booze. And at a certain point you start to go, is the armor really solar powered or is it just an alcohol engine? <laughs> It may well be. It's like a Don Draper kind of thing, right? That's, oh, that would definitely, that is definitely the vibe that, that you yeah. get. As you mm-hmm. read through Iron Man number 120 to 128, mm-hmm. covered, that's right, it's only eight issues, first of all. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the alcoholism rolls out and becomes a part of the character that sticks around and rears its head and, and it lets him bond with other characters and things mm-hmm. like that. But the actual introduction of it is really over the course of these eight issues, cover dated March to November of 1979. Wow. We attribute this story to David Micheline and Bob Layton with art by Bob Layton, Carmine Infantino, and the amazing John Romita Jr., he is Those gonna... are great names. Yeah. Carmine a... Infantino. That's like serious business. Carmine Infantino, again, uh, an artist I love, but I love mostly for his DC stuff. So, But this is an opportunity to talk about Carmine Infantino. The art in this is mm-hmm. phenomenal. It's really great. The storyline makes a lot of sense. It's uh, pretty self-contained to these eight issues, but mm-hmm. also builds on some other stuff that was bubbling up. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. You had S.H.I.E.L.D. trying Mm -hmm. to actively take over Stark International. Wow. Because remember from the previous episode, Iron Man was a weapon by a weapons manufacturer. That was not as big an issue for Tony Stark in the 60s and 70s Mm -hmm. as it became for the character in the movies. So Stark International is still making a bunch of weapons and S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't like that they were making fewer weapons. Mm-hmm. And so they were just going to buy Tony out. Wow. So that was the thing that was going on. And Tony felt very like undermined by Nick Fury. And so just his whole life was kind of going to a mess. And he mm-hmm. was self-medicating his way through that. Okay. The demon in a bottle. Mm-hmm. This storyline also introduces Justin Hammer, a rival weapons manufacturer to Stark International, mm-hmm. who was still making weapons during the S.H.I.E.L.D. buyout subplot. And really, the hammer in this story is really different than the one that we get in the movie. For one thing, the reason we have Whiplash in this movie, or a version of Whiplash, is because Mm -hmm. 
comic book Justin Hammer employed a small army of supervillains as personal guards. Oh, God. (laughs) And let me tell you what. When you've got a whole issue of Tony Stark without the armor more or less getting the better of Justin Hammer's guards, and then he's like, all right, enough of this nonsense, and out comes the small army of supervillains. Oh, God. (laughs) It was a moment when I was like, this is why there should be more supervillains in the MCU. Like, they just come out of a a hangar. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the stakes are higher, right? Like, we've (laughs) stepped this up. Yeah. So in this story, though, Hammer is not your two-bit Tony Stark. He is Mm -hmm. a behind-the-scenes manipulator who is able to develop technology that could force the Iron Man armor to malfunction. Mm -hmm. He almost drowned Tony while Tony was fighting the Submariner, which is how part of this story kicks off. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, For the kids playing at home, the Submariner is the king of Atlantis. Namor, he hung out with Captain America during World War II and is the out-of-fiction first mutant of the Marvel Universe. Oh, interesting. In fiction, there are people who were mutants like back in ancient Egypt, but, you know, at the metafictional level, first mutant in the... the, And the the mutants launched the X-Men. Like, that's an X-Man story? Okay. Or X-Men. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. X-Men are mutants because, according to Stanley, he got tired of making up origins for people and was just like, puberty seems him. legit. <laughs> well, I think that's a good way to go because origin stories uh, no, tend I to agree. weigh it down. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense and it works for the metaphor sure. and, and that othering and outsidering. Mm-hmm. But so he, uh, Hammer, nearly drowns Iron Man by uh, forcing his plexiglass that covers his eye and mouth slits to open while he's underwater. (laughs) Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, And the big one is he forces the armor to fire its repulsor while Iron Man is patting a foreign diplomat on the back and blows his hole through Oh, my God. Yes. Iron Man has to relinquish the armor uh, to the authorities, Uh and there's a whole, it's a whole thing. Wow. It's a whole Mm -hmm. thing. Um, when we get to the end of that, though, we do have uh, Tony Stark kind of going through the DTs mm-hmm. with his current girlfriend at the time and swearing off alcohol and having a couple of points where he almost has a drink and keeps it together. And just for just for giggles, mm-hmm. I read the next two or three issues also to see how it goes. Yeah. And he finds a way out of some of his bigger problems without having a drink, although it continues to be a thing that they talk about. Okay. You know, it's it's a big part of the character. So his girlfriend wasn't Pepper Potts at that time? No, Pepper Potts has never really been Tony's girlfriend in the comics. She married Happy. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and they adopted children, and then they got divorced in comics everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Soap operas, Soap right? Operas. We've talked about yes, this. absolutely. Now, outside of Demon in a Bottle and that Justin Hammer stuff, this is the opportunity I feel like we should talk about Rhodey. Okay, uh-huh. Uh, he's a much bigger character, I feel, in this movie than he is in the first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we get shades of the buddy cop movie that I really just want. Right. <laughs> I just want an Iron Man that yes. is just buddy cops. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure we're ever going to get that now. <laughs> so James Rhodes' first appearance as James Rhodes mm-hmm. is Iron Man number 118, January 1979. He then appeared... As Iron Man, for quite a while, starting with Iron Man number 170 in May 1983, and then as War Machine 
in Iron Man 282 in July 1992. So relatively recently. Yeah. Okay. I, I have a question about identity, though. All right. I mean, this is the thing, like, in, in the movie, Tony Stark is Iron Man. Like, in the MCU, that's what we have. Tony Stark is Iron Man. We, we talk a lot about identity. We're going to talk about it a little bit more while we talk about the movie a bit later. So, Tony Stark is Iron Man. So, does, does Rhodey just put on the Iron Man suit and that makes him Iron Man? Or is, is the identity in the man or is it in the suit? I guess so, it's in the suit, right? You're going to love this. <laughs> You know that bit where they talk about how Iron Man is Tony Stark's bodyguard for all the three seconds in the end of the first movie? Yeah. Literally the status quo for like 50 years. Whoa, okay. Tony Stark is wearing the Iron Man outfit, but everybody thinks that it's another person who is Tony Stark's bodyguard, including the Avengers alongside whom he serves. And nobody ever knows that like they're never in the same place at the same time. <laughs> no, because the bodyguard gets the charge out of the danger and then goes back and fights the villains or what have you. That is that is interesting. This idea that he's a bodyguard who's never actually in the same place with the body he's guarding. Nobody questions well, that at all. Oh, they oh, they question it a lot, <laughs> especially in Demon in the Bottle, actually, because yeah. Uh, Tony's current girlfriend is a professional bodyguard who a couple of times throws a lot of shade at Iron Man. Wow. Who is actually Tony and she does not know when she's like, yeah, are you any good at this at all, guy? <laughs> Do you even bodyguard, bro? Wow. You know? So, yeah. okay. So it's the, so in the comics, the identity is the suit, not the man. Yes. Until okay. relatively recently. Okay. All right. Now, now they've dispensed with that, and I think the movies make the right choice there. But yeah. remember that without going too far down the comic book history rabbit trail, mm -hmm. remember that DC's the only game in town for so long, and mm -hmm. then Marvel comes along, and they just adopt a lot of these superhero tropes, and secret identity is one of the superhero tropes. Yeah. And they don't do it uniformly, because mm -hmm. the Fantastic Four do not have secret identities. Mm -hmm. They're public all the time. And... Like the X-Men have variations on the secret identity because they have costumes that are at first themed together, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, but they have their own identity, but they don't have their own look. I mean, so it's not necessarily uniformly mm -hmm. across the board adopted, but it's definitely a default mode that a lot of characters fall into. Iron Man being one, Thor too. We'll talk more about it when we get to yeah. the movie. Mm -hmm. But Thor has a secret identity for a long time. Wow. Sort of? It's complicated. Um, <laughs> it's not as complicated as all that. It's too complicated to talk about in the Iron Man episode. All right. That's fine. We'll, we'll hold it for later then. So, yeah. For a while, it's basically whoever is wearing the suit because mm -hmm. Rhodey was able to fill in for Tony when they needed a little bit of secret identity shenanigans uh -huh. or when Tony was like, well, I'm a little too drunk. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe you, you take should the drive. Suit and save the world. I'm just going to vomit into this paper basket. <laughs> yeah, because don't vomit into the suit. That would be the worst. Oh, God, no. The worst. Yes. So yeah, and and uh, Tony was actually presumed dead at some of the time that Rhodey operated as Iron Man, and he also took over running the company and all kinds of stuff. So uh, it's when Tony came back from the air quotes dead mm -hmm. that. He is kind of deposed as Iron Man, but Tony's like, no, keep the suit. You're yeah. the war machine. And, you know, there you are. Okay. All right. Now, a little more of the backstory. Longtime friend of Tony's. They met in Vietnam when Rhodey had crashed a helicopter behind enemy lines and ran into Iron Man, who was on his way back 
having just escaped Wong Chu. Uh-huh. So before he was War Machine, remember he'd been Iron Man for Tony mm-hmm. during an alcoholism relapse, which was also brought on in part by Obadiah Stane's successful takeover of Stark International. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't think these movies are milking the business intrigue end of this story engine enough. I'm, I'm kind of glad they're not. <laughs> no, it, it probably would be terrible for movies, but right. you can imagine the Iron Man TV show would just be fraught with this, oh, right? Oh, sure. Absolutely. It'd be like Dynasty in superhero costumes, you know? <laughs> it would be like the times that they flirted with that on Arrow, only hopefully good. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so the suit that Rhodey wore as Iron Man was more heavily armored and armed in a traditional way because Tony had actually built it to fight villains who had figured out how to make themselves impervious to repulsors. Uh-huh. Because most of the weapons on, or really the only weapons on most of the Iron Man iterations until more recently in time, repulsors were it. Yeah. And one giant repulsor in the chest called a unibeam. Uh-huh. Like, that was it. And so once villains figured out how to make themselves impervious to repulsors, he was like, okay, giant machine gun it is, I guess. <laughs> Well, there you go. Now, after Tony comes back, Rhodey continues to wear that armor under the name War Machine because apparently all the good names are taken. <laughs> right. I don't know. But you cannot discount how important this guy's been to Marvel history as a whole because he's been a Marine, mm-hmm. an Avenger, a West Coast Avenger, a Secret Avenger, a Secret Defender, the Secretary of Defense, <laughs> a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Jack-booted thug of a fascist government set to guard mutants in a giant robot suit, and now, most recently, a corpse. Oh, they killed him. Killed him off in Civil War II. Oh, wow. Not great. Wow. (laughs) Not spectacular. (laughs) So that's Rhodey. I mean, he's a big deal, and I don't know how much of that... Like, they do a better job of sort of inserting him into the warp and woof of Tony's personal life yeah but the fact that he's still in the military in the movies keeps them at kind of an interesting distance where he's not able to just you know go hang out in be armor bros right be a super sidekick all the time sure Mm -hmm. so that's roadie very exciting another character from this movie that we have to look at that is a combination of two different characters kinda Mm -hmm. is if uh ivan vanko Mm -hmm. also known as whiplash for the purposes of making toys because i'm not sure anybody actually calls him whiplash in the movie oh okay technically not a comic book pull because he's two different guys like wrapped up together all right one of those guys is anton vanko Mm -hmm. the original crimson dynamo he first appears in tales of suspense number 46 october 1963 Created by Stan Lee and Don Heck. You may remember we mentioned Don Heck from the uh, Hulk episode. He was Mm -hmm. part of the Hulk's creation. Uh, Anton Vonko is a Soviet scientist who builds an electrically powered suit, as opposed to Iron Man's magnetism. Remember, magnetism was a much bigger... That's why they're repulsors. Okay, (laughs) They're like lasers made out of magnets. Okay. It does not make sense. He's sent to defeat Iron Man. He fails and is afraid to go home, so he defects. Okay. And, and real talk, it's almost like the opposite story of the Anton Vanko in the movie, right. who is Ivan's father. Right. Right. He's disgraced and sent away by Howard because he's pretty good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And in this case, he's still pretty good at what he does, is sent to kill Iron Man, fails miserably, and just decides, maybe I should just become American so that they don't put a bullet in my head, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, there have been a bunch of other Crimson Dynamos. They don't matter for the purposes of this story. Okay. 
So the other guy we have to talk about is Whiplash, who's not really that interesting on his own. He's an inventor who used to work for Stark but decided to be a professional costume criminal with high-tech electric whips. Mm -hmm. That's really it. Okay. All right. He's not super interesting. He does show up as part of that costumed criminal army of Justin Hammers and Demon in a Bottle, which is probably where they kind of got the idea here. Yeah. It is worth saying that Marvel Comics, ever the last one to get a good idea (laughs) on paper – made an Ivan Vanko version of Whiplash with armor and a Russian backstory. Mm -hmm. And I have not read any of it, honestly, but it just sounds like a less elegant version of the movie. Yeah. And I don't understand why you would do that. They're kind of bad at intermedia branding. Oh, (laughs) yeah. They're not great. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that Whiplash is a really good choice for the movie. There's, There's such a visual element there. So, like, kind of merging those characters. I think what they did with the characters... It kind of makes sense to me. Like, I, I can see where they did this. You know, how yeah, they definitely. put all that together. We wanted to step away from people in armor. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is all the Crimson Dynamo was, was basically Soviet Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> but we keep the Russian part of the backstory. We get we get that difficulty with the fathers mixed into things, which we'll talk more about the quality of some of this movie, which I enjoy quite a lot, Lonnie. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having that discussion. <laughs> but I like the idea of what they bring up with the dads, even if they never really kind of stick that landing. Yeah. I don't, well, we'll get, to, we'll get to the movie we'll get in to a little it. bit. Talk to me about the comics. Tell me the history, Joshua. Yes, I apologize for getting sidetracked. But speaking of bad intermedia branding, <laughs> let's talk about Nick Fury for a minute. All right. So... The original version of Nick Fury uh, first appeared in Sergeant Fury and His Howling Commandos, number one, (laughs) May 1963. All right. He was just a World War II guy. Like, um, DC had a very successful book called Sergeant Rock, Mm -hmm. and Sergeant Rock and Easy Company, and it was just guys in World War II getting into trouble and then getting themselves out. Like, it was a whole nothing's easy for easy was, like, the tagline of the book. And Nick started out as a poor man's... Sergeant Rock, more or less. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of nuance there, but nobody cares for the purposes of this show. (laughs) So he'd met Captain America. Somewhere along the line, he took what's called the Infinity Formula, stopped aging, became the greatest spy of our age, and eventually the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and some other weirder stuff that we'll save to talk about when we need to fill time with bonkers stuff, because it's bonkers. (laughs) I love it. I love how bold the storytelling is. You can really try anything in a comic book. Oh, yeah. And if it doesn't work, let's just not talk about it for a year and then no one will talk about it. And then we'll just forget it ever happened and start over. I love it. It is such a dynamic playground, you know? Now, that version of Nick Fury is white. Ah. He is Caucasian. He has an eye patch. He chomps a cigar. He sounds like he's from Brooklyn all the time, even though he's been alive for like 110 years. (laughs) You know. And, And then you get... The Ultimate Marvel Universe, Uh which we talked a little bit about with Hulk for uh, tying in the Hulk to like a a further attempts at super soldiering. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, replace Captain America. So they have this weird version of Ultimate Nick Fury that is pretty obviously supposed to be Caucasian also. Mm -hmm. But by the next time you see him, he looks just like Sam Jackson. Wow. So was Sam Jackson actually like the um, the inspiration for that, for this new version of Nick Fury? Definitely in look and at least partially in attitude. Okay. And he had a very different and much shorter, less over-the-top comic book backstory. Mm -hmm. He 
was not the first and only director of S.H.I.E.L.D. since 1960-whatever. He was relatively young. Mm-hmm. He'd been in, like, the uh, the Marvel equivalent of Dever- Desert Storm, where he had run into Ultimate Wolverine before he was Wolverine. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Wolverine was responsible for losing his eye, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. Over time, though, people realized what I thought at the time. Because I didn't love Ultimate Nick Fury. Not because he was black or Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. Because I love Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. I didn't like him because he just wasn't as cool. Like, he hadn't been a spy for 80 years. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> With flying cars and all kinds of stuff, yeah. right? And over time, though, they eventually glommed most of original Nick Fury's cooler backstory onto the Sam Jackson version. Mm -hmm. But then they did away with the Ultimate Universe, and they realized now they don't have a Nick Fury who looks like the one in the movies. Mm -hmm. So they introduce an even lamer version named Nick Fury Jr. Oh, God. So wait, is our Nick Fury and the MCU Nick Fury supposed to be Nick Fury Jr.? No, not at all. This is just Marvel being really bad at intermedia branding. (laughs) Because they introduce an African-American who wears Captain America's cast off outfit Uh as Nick Fury's son with an African-American woman. Yes. And all of this is introduced more or less in Battle Scars number one, January 2012. And I like to call this a fine example of Marvel Comics trying way too goddamn hard. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm glad we got the Nick Fury we got. Samuel L. Jackson kills it. I don't even care. Like the scenes with Nick Fury in this movie are not great, but he's fantastic. No, I agree. I agree for the MCU, definitely. Yeah. But at the time, it was like early 2000s. Yeah. And. All of a sudden, the Ultimates show up, which is what they called the Avengers in the Ultimate Universe, was mm-hmm. just the Ultimates. And, and they have Sam Jackson, Nick Fury. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm interested in that idea. But then the more you found out about him, the more it was obvious that they were just borrowing Sam yeah. Jackson's cool. Right. And not providing any, like, natural, you know, cool to the story itself, to the character itself. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I didn't love it at the time. But for MCU purposes, yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, it's okay. brilliant. Let's right. do it. <laughs> I feel like there's one other character we need to talk about in pretty serious detail. Okay. Natasha Romanoff. Yes. A.K.A. the Black Widow. Yes. Tell me about this woman. Oh, she's so great. Yes. (laughs) So her first appearance is in 1964 Mm -hmm. in Tales of Suspense number 52. As I may have mentioned, there's a bit of a red scare going on. Yes. (laughs) And this influenced early Marvel, especially Iron Man, quite a lot. So the Widow is a KGB agent trained in their infamous Red Room and sent to steal Tony Stark's cool stuff. Uh-huh. She, along the way, recruits Hawkeye because he's an idiot. Hawkeye <laughs> sucks. I'm ready to <laughs> – we'll argue so much more about it, at, I'm sure, as we go. Oh, and yeah. I'm ready for the, the a-holes of the audience to just rise up against me like the villagers against Dr. Frankenstein. What, and saying that Hawkeye's not good? He no, sucks. Hawkeye's not good. No, he's Hawkeye's terrible. Hawkeye's not good. No. I mean, you brought a bow and arrow to a superpower fight. Who are you? Yeah, really. <laughs> we'll definitely cool get to that it. discussion when we get to the Avengers, yeah. Well, it comes up a little bit here because mm-hmm. eventually she does defect because she loves Hawkeye. Right. But then she joins the Avengers and we stop talking about her loving Hawkeye and everything is better. Okay, no, that's good. Now, we've talked about that kind of sliding time scale mm-hmm. and how we had to update Iron Man from Vietnam into... The Middle East, right? Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, they kind of just don't bother to do this with Black Widow. (laughs) 
She was a KGB operative for decades. Okay. Her first in-fiction appearance is in a tiny Pacific Rim nation called Madripoor, mm-hmm. where Captain America, the man who would eventually be Natasha's handler for the KGB, and Logan, the man who will eventually be the X-Man Wolverine, have to team up to save her from a mystical ninja clan called The Hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> she is a small child during World War II. Wow. So the Red Room gets retconned to not only give false memories and Mm -hmm. intense espionage training, but also to give biochemical enhancements that would retard aging and generally make her stronger and more agile. All right. Because that's the thing about Widow is that I I was never sure that she had like superpowers or she just was like incredibly good at fighting. For the movies, I think she's supposed to just be incredibly good at fighting, although I have a headcanon. Yeah. It seems like there's something that makes her, you know exceptional there's something that makes her super powered but we've never really had any clarity on that because of course you know why would we have any kind of origin story for a woman i mean come on (laughs) uh well yeah why doesn't she have an mcu movie i don't have a good answer for that Mm -hmm. especially since i have the perfect plot for her oh yeah black widow and the winter soldier have to team up to deal with a mistake from their intersecting pasts back in the cold war In Black Widow, Cold Warriors, coming to you the summer after Marvel gives me money. Oh, my God. I love that. I've got a whole... You don't even know. I have (laughs) notes. I could write this thing right now. I love it. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And I like the idea of Bucky becoming her sidekick like she became Cap's sidekick in Winter Soldier, right? There's like a... Anyway. Marvel. (laughs) Call me. Well, that's great. I really, I like all of that. That was fantastic comics history. I'm going to give a little bit of the production history and then we can start talking about this movie. Iron Man 2 was released on May 7th, 2010. It had a budget of $200 million, the biggest budget so far, $60 million more than the original Iron Man, and took in almost $624 million all told. So it clocked in the best profit margin of all the MCU movies to date, which is really good because here we are, we're, we're in phase one. But the thing about phase one is that you know it's going to end. So you want to make sure that there's enough there's <laughs> enough momentum going there to keep them going to phase two, which obviously now from our space and time, we know we don't have to worry about. But at the time, it could have been a nail biter, you know, so that was really good news. No, I mean, remember 2010 when we weren't yeah. guaranteed yeah. to get three or four Marvel movies a year. Yeah. Because that's 2018. <laughs> yeah, right. Now we're getting a ton. And I mean, it's great. But at the time, you know, this was something that was kind of kind of a nail biter. There are five writing credits on this movie, but four are the original comics creation team. Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, Don Heck, and Jack Kirby. So as far as the focus and the vision go, we are in really good shape here. Uh, the writer is Justin Thoreau. So as anyone who stood in a checkout line in the U.S. may recognize him as Mr. Jennifer Aniston. Um, he wrote the screenplay. Um, he's most well known, I think, as an actor. Um, he played the almost creepily beloved Justin Anderson for a few episodes of Parks and Recreation. Some of you may remember him from that. He played Kevin Garvey on The Leftovers. Most recently was seen as the master codebreaker in Star Wars The Last Jedi. I I don't know. I haven't seen that movie. Is that a big part in that movie? <laughs> it is not a big part in that movie. I didn't think so. I thought maybe he'd you know, <laughs> have a name if it was a big part. But anyway, he was in The Last Jedi. Um, he hasn't actually done that much writing, although he did write, and, and this is my great shame that I have to admit this. He wrote Tropic Thunder with Robert Downey Jr. and Ben Stiller. I don't know if you saw that movie. Did you see that movie? 
I have never seen it. Okay, it's terrible, but I love it. It's um, it's it's shameful to me. It's one of these movies that for some reason I watched. You know, if you watch a particular movie with the right people, it doesn't matter how completely offensive and awful it is. Like, you'll love it, you know? And it has terrible, terrible things in it. I can't even talk about how horrible it is. And probably if I was watching it now, I would I would be horribly offended by it but I remember just laughing really hard with my friends when we first watched it so that is to my great shame I have to say I laughed at that movie um, other writing credits include Rock of Ages and Zoolander 2 so this is a guy who's kind of like huh. mid-level on this writing mid-level on this acting thing and yet lands a Marvel movie to write and gets a part in The Last Jedi so I don't know Mary's Jennifer Aniston I think somebody made a Faustian bargain at some place along the line. I have no idea what happened there, but there you go. Maybe marrying Jennifer Aniston, best thing that could have happened for his career? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just guessing. I, I have no idea. Um, Iron Man 2 marked the return of original Iron Man director John Favreau, uh, but does not mark the return of Terrence Howard as Rhodey. Don Cheadle stepped into the role reportedly because Favreau and Howard did not get along. Um, Howard claims that Marvel refused to pay him the amount contracted for the three movies together um, and there was just a lot of tension overall generally on the Iron Man sets there have been a lot of tension so that didn't really work out um, rumors are that Iron Man 2 like Iron Man 1 also didn't exactly have a script when they shot you cannot find you know an original uh, shooting script online I mean that doesn't mean it doesn't exist but usually you can find a PDF out there somewhere and this is nowhere to be found at least nowhere that I could find it. If we have any a-holes out there who can uh, find it and send it to me, that'd be great. But I have not seen any evidence of an actual shooting script, just transcripts online. Um, I think Lonnie would actually like to have proof that there was a script or anything written down for this movie. Exactly. <laughs> or some kind of plan of something. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, <laughs> according to reports, Favreau originally imagined the Iron Man trilogy as developing Obadiah Stane as a main antagonist all the way over over an arc of three movies, um, seeing him through to his eventual supervillain identity as the Iron Monger. Uh, but the studio talked him out of it and made Stain a one-off villain for the first movie, so they had to come up with new villains, of course, for this one. Um, and Favreau apparently also did not intend for Iron Man 2 to be a direct representation of the demon in a bottle storyline. He saw it more as the interim space between the origin story and the dark well of demon in a bottle. So he doesn't see this as being, you know, like, a big dark Tony's an alcoholic story Tony gets drunk at a party but it's not really the focus of this story and I think that that's fair because it, it really no, the alcoholism is is there you know in foreshadowing you can see it being part of him but I don't think it, it overtakes the the theme of the story yeah I mean we'll talk more about that too in a minute mm -hmm. it's not a direct demon in a bottle parallel yeah and I actually really like what they did with self-destructive behavior that wasn't alcoholism. That wasn't alcoholism, but like, yeah. like I say, we've got lots to talk about. Yes, we certainly <laughs> do. All right, so I'm going to get through this so that we can get to that discussion. Um, originally, Emily Blunt was slated to play Black Widow, uh, but she was committed to Gulliver's Travels, so she had to back out, and that's when Scarlett Johansson stepped in. And I cannot Whoops. even imagine how much she must be kicking herself now. I think she'd be great. I like Scarlett Johansson, but I love Emily Blunt. I think she'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I Okay, so uh, there were a couple of Black Widow stories where a new Black Widow sh showed up mm -hmm. and tried to unseat Ooh. Natasha. Emily Blunt 
as Yelena Belova, challenger to the Black Widow name, metafictional awesomeness. Oh my God, I would absolutely love that. If they could get her into Marvel. And I just keep thinking like this woman, you know, she's got a great career and everything. So she's not, you know, up nights, I'm sure worrying about it. But to miss out on Marvel because you're in Gulliver's Travels. I know. Like that just feels like a cosmic kick to the teeth. The saddest thing. (laughs) It's really awful. It was also reported that Marvel interfered so much with the shooting of Iron Man 2 that John Favreau refused to come back for Iron Man 3, which was directed by Shane Black. And so we're going to talk about that later. I'm excited for that discussion, too. <laughs> we had a lot of great things to talk about. Um, I don't know what to think. <laughs> yeah, seriously. This is John Slattery showing up as Howard Stark. Um, John Slattery, a madman. Uh, um, alumni so I mean it's always fun to see him and um, John Favreau reprises his role as Happy Hogan in this movie so it's fun to see him acting as well as directing. Industrial Light and Magic did the special effects for this Iron Man as they did for the first making the suit digitally Robert Downey Jr. did most of those scenes in a motion capture suit which I think is kind of amazing because that suit looks physically real. I thought that was pretty incredible. It really does. Yeah. It really does. The effects it, it, were amazing. It's some of their best like mocap work. I mean, oh. it just, I believe every bit of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. The, the film actually did get an Oscar nomination that year for best visual effects, which doesn't surprise me at all because I think the visual effects in this movie are outstanding, even if the movie itself, and now we can start talking about it's this. It's fantastic. Kind of sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this movie is terrible, Joshua. Premise rejected. But it's awful. All right. No. Okay. So let's get started on this. I hate this movie. I think it's terrible. There are some things that I like. I mean, there are some things that I think are good, but I think we've got real problems with the narrative. Everything is kind of a hot mess, but I I haven't been talking to you about it because you like this movie and I so want to see if you can change my mind. Oh, no, I don't think I can because (laughs) I'm not sure that I actually disagree with any of your structural problems. Yeah. Well, what do you But like I think that the it? structural problems kind of get glossed over for me with the coulda bins. Aha. So so you really like the movie for its potential then? Is that I mean, I feel like enough of the potential is realized mm-hmm. that I'm not, you know, just kissing my sister enjoying this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I can admit that it's not the tightest piece of work, you know. All right. Okay. Which well, might actually be the description of most Marvel movies. You know, this is a lot of fun, not the tightest piece of work. Oh, God. See, for me, it isn't even fun. It drives me so crazy. There's there's very little that I enjoy in this movie, but let's go ahead and start with the positives. All right, sure. I'm going to go ahead and start with the things that I actually liked. I like the identity story. I like identity stories in general. And the thing with superhero movies is that they really do have this like heartbeat of identity running throughout all of them, you know, because you have so much transition of who they were before and who they are now. And uh, and I always think that that's really cool. So I like this I am Iron Man. And at the end, when Fury recommends Iron Man, but not Tony. Okay, here it is. Uh, recruitment assessment for Avenger Initiative. Iron Man, yes. I gotta think about it. Read on. Tony Stark not, not recommended? That doesn't make any sense. How can you approve me but not approve me? It feels like a direct slap at this identity, um, which is, I think, I think, although I think it's really hard to tell what this movie was about because it's such a hot mess. Um, but I mean, probably the identity story should have been more at the at the core of this story than it was. It was definitely like flirted with, 
but I don't feel like they did anything with it. I think that the identity issue Mm -hmm. is brought much more to the forefront by their choice of dual villainy. Mm -hmm. Because they have somebody who is clearly the two-bit Tony Stark. Like, is the also-ran Tony Stark on every level. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Who, honestly, I would say is showing us what Tony Stark really is with a smidge less charm. Well, and a lot less intelligence. I mean, Justin Hammer has nowhere near Tony Stark's capability. So it's not just about charm and, you know, and all of that swagger that Tony Stark has. But it's about the, I mean, I'm telling you, if Justin Hammer was in a cave with a box of scraps... He would be dead oh, in the dead cave man. with a box of scraps. Like, this guy does not have it. But he wants what Tony Stark has. And the only way he can get it is to steal it. No, I don't. I don't disagree at all. Yeah. I think that most of the time that we see Hammer, it's about charm. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but most of the time. And then Tony is able to undermine him further with his lack of capability. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the the charmless Tony Stark is a challenge to his identity. Like, there's a place where that's you if you have a little less charisma. Yeah. Tony. And the flip of that is Ivan, mm-hmm. who is what happens if your dad is a ruined genius as opposed to a genius that makes good. Right. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's t- Tony's dad, the genius that made good, that ruins his dad. It, there's a lot of, like you know, cracked mirror kind of reflection. He's in many ways an opposite number villain, yes. which is a thing that I really like. Yeah. Well, and I can see that, except that, you know, I mean, that brings us basically to our big antagonist problem, which is that the lines of antagonism in this movie are just all over the place. I mean, you need a clear main antagonist with a clear main goal. I don't mind that Hammer brings in Whiplash, but whiplash is first there he's the one at the start he's the one with all the motivation and hammer is just like this annoying little fly that tony swats away so venko is not the main antagonist i mean when he's thrown in jail after the attack in monte carlo he doesn't care he said i made god bleed and i'm fine then hammer gets him out and hammer's the one with the clear goal like he wants the suit you know and venko is like, okay, I guess now that I'm out of jail, I'm going to go ahead and, and, you know, try to get my vengeance some more. It's not at all clear, like, what he wants or what he's doing. Um, and suddenly Venko wants to kill Tony again. And all of the means to kill Tony land in Venko's lap. Like, he doesn't do it. He's just sitting there in jail. And then somebody gives him a, an explosive potato. You know, like, all of this stuff... <laughs> Is just, it doesn't, we don't have a clear line of antagonism. There's no one clear antagonist that is moving all of the pieces. We first have Venko, and then Venko is like whatever, and he's just kind of riding along and doing this stuff without really having any reason, any goal for it, you know, aside from just getting even with Tony Stark, which it isn't even about. It's about his dad and Tony's dad. And that, you know, is another like, Dear God, save me from daddy issues, movies, you know, and that'll be another discussion. But this whole thing is just, you know, and Hammer, like Hammer does have a certain amount of charm and charisma. I mean, he really does. But what he doesn't have is capability. And the thing is that I would, I'd rather him have capability. I want to feel threatened by the antagonist that's, that's, you know, challenging 
Tony and and I don't. So throughout this whole thing, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm like every scene seems to be going in a different direction. All of the narrative momentum is kind of fractured into like five different spaces and I have no idea what's going on or why I should care. And there's a certain point like one of the things that I always tell my students is when you're watching a movie and that point comes where you just cannot anymore, where you're just like, how much longer is this movie? When that point happens, you want to look at the scene you're in, you know? And for me, it was um, it was when Hammer was talking yes, to Vanko. My bird. A bird? You want a bird? I want my bird. I can get you a bird. I can get you ten birds. I want my bird. You know, and at, this, at that point, I'm just like, yeah. I don't even... I don't even care. I have no clarity on what's going on here. I have no clarity on what it means. What is it? Like, what is this about? And I could not land on it. There are a lot of balls dropped yeah. in this movie. I'm not going to lie yeah. to you. I mean, I'm not. Basically, what it becomes is a kaleidoscope that moves close enough together for me to be willing to backfill Yeah. some stuff. Like, Venko does not have access to materials. Right. So he makes enough that he can get the rest of the world to do the job of tearing Tony Stark down. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty sophisticated, nuanced plan, and I like it. Yeah. Hammer comes along and gives him the means to actually kill Tony Stark. He never meant to kill Tony Stark in the first place. He knew he didn't have the moxie. Yeah. Right? He just wanted to, like like they say, make God bleed. (laughs) Like, we were so casual in Monte Carlo about just blowing up a whole bunch of race car drivers. Like, Oh, the collateral damage of every Marvel movie is a thing best not thought about. The collateral damage is so casual in this movie, you know? And that I found bothersome, too, because it's like, okay, we're blowing up human beings just so that he can have a cool backdrop while he walks around with his whips flailing. But I'm sorry. Anyway, go ahead. Continue your thoughts. You don't watch a lot of action movies, huh? No, I do. And I hate that. (laughs) Like, I, I watch yeah, a lot of action, but I just, like, it feels so casual, you know? It Now, there is a space where they could have framed that as casual because Ivan considers it very casual. He doesn't care about these people. And right. again, there's enough there that I can backfill that. Like, scary Russian mobster physicist? Hell yes. Right, but nobody Sign else is horrified. Like, if it's a terrorism, if it's a terrorism attack, which is what that feels like, like, mm-hmm, we should mm-hmm. see people being horrified and like we don't it's just it's just explosions and and backdrop and doesn't this look cool and that's i think what felt casual to me like i just didn't feel like we were horrified enough by what this person was doing no that makes sense and honestly that rears its head again at the end yeah when all of these people are in so much danger except i don't really feel it yes Mm -hmm. i mean honestly you're not wrong that that part is a is a problem yeah and, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily want to see people on screen mm-hmm. blown up to get to a better space. Because, again, I think Ivan not caring works. But right. it doesn't – it works conceptually. It but doesn't actually it get out. translated to the film. We don't write it out. We treat it as casual from the point of the – I mean, it's yes. one thing if you're – if we were in Ivan's POV – you know, which we're not because he's he's the villain and it's a Tony scene like he's fighting Tony. So we're in Tony's POV. But like, mm-hmm. you know, our people, Happy and uh, Pepper and Tony should be horrified. 
that somebody just died, like a bunch of people just died, you know, like that's mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, and, and I mean, on top of it, like, okay, let's talk about Monte Carlo. Um, Venko gets in as part of the pit crew, right? And has this, and it's really, I mean, visually so cool when like the suit burns yes. off of him, like that is awesome, you know, but Tony kicks that guy out. Who is a healthy, and owning healthy a race car. Competition. Competition. If you don't drive it. Yeah. Is he driving? Nobody knew that he was going to take over that car. So, like, what was Venko's plan? Because Tony was supposed to be up watching from the, you know, the bar the way that everybody else was. This was a surprise. Like, that's the kind of thing, like, none of this makes sense. It's all flash, but it's no substance. There's nothing underneath that pulls it together. I think that makes a little more sense than you're giving it credit for okay. because of everything else that's going on. And only because everybody knew that Tony Stark would be there, yeah. but they didn't know he'd be driving. Well, if he walks onto the racetrack and starts wrecking cars. I guess he knows Tony Tony's going to have a he's suit that fly flies. Out. Right. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Like he's going to come down there and face him. I guess. It's just like, why have Tony, why have Tony kicked this guy out of his car? Why have, to, like, what is that even? You know? Well, that ties back to our and we and we we will go back to one of my positive mm-hmm. things. But but Tony kicking him out of the car ties back to the reframed demon in a bottle, self-destructive. Right. Yeah. You know, thing. It's I like all the threads mm-hmm. and I think that they get tied into like a really loose knot. But it's definitely too loose a knot to please you. And I get that totally. Well, there's just too much. You know, if you pair that's it true, down. too. You know, a serious edit would have helped all of this. They also shy away from what could have been some really bold choices. Mm-hmm. Like, Howard Stark is a bad person. Yeah. I mean, almost entirely a bad person. Mm-hmm. And pretty clearly framed Anton, yeah. Ivan's dad, you know, yeah. to get him kicked out of the country, which lands him in a gulag, mm-hmm. which, I mean, the whole, you know, Howard Stark ruined not one but two men's lives. Right just so he could claim credit. Mm -hmm. But when Tony is confronted with his dad's stuff, he instead gets the key to not dying and a fatherly attaboy that the guy could not deliver while breathing. Yeah. I'm limited by the technology of my time. But one day you'll figure this out. And when you do, you will change the world. What is and always will be my greatest creation is you. Not great. It's like, it's like, again, that kaleidoscope. If you don't look too closely, you're like, oh, Howard was actually a good guy. No, Howard's awful. Right. And the thing is that. But by, they shy away from it yeah, in the end. By not letting that land. You know, and this and this whole like you had it all in you all along. It's Glinda the Good Witch. You know, you were always wearing the ruby slippers, Tony, like that kind of stuff. I I have no patience for that either. And I felt like it was a little bit. I don't know. It was a little bit saccharine for me. Like, I think that that being a bad guy was a good move, especially because like, you know, out of context. But if you look at Howard Stark from the Agent Carter TV series, he's kind of a lovable goof. You know, I mean, he's and to see how Howard Stark went from that to this asshole, like 
that would have been really kind of interesting to know that he takes a dark turn, you know, even though he's kind of adorable in, you know, in his youth with Agent Carter. So, um, so I think that that could have been something interesting that they could have done. Um, and I think him, him getting the secret to everything from his dad, because daddy believes in me. And then the daddy issues in this are just, I mean, you know, I was waiting for Tom Cruise to show up. You know, I mean, the way we've got daddy issues all throughout this thing. But I mean, it, what is this, a Star Wars movie? It's just daddy issues all the way down. There's daddy issues in so much of this stuff, you know, because it seems to be like the only way that we can make a man vulnerable is by giving him daddy issues. Like nothing else works. And I don't know why we always go to that, but we go to that well way too often, I think. Um, and and the thing is that here we've got these reflective daddy issues with um, Anton and Howard. And that's where the real anger and antagonism lies. You mm-hmm. know, that could have been an interesting thing too. But the thing is that they threw absolutely everything they had into this basket. And it requ- it needs editing. You need to pull some of that stuff out. You need to not pull your punches like with Howard Stark. You know, I mean, there's so much stuff here that actually could have been really, really great. I mean, I love that the thing that is keeping him alive is also poisoning him. That it's not just the oh, um, that's identity stuff, right? Yeah, that's, that's back identity to the identity stuff. stuff and you it's, love. I mean, talk about internal antagonism, right? And the more he uses the suit, the more he gets sick. But he can't not use the suit. That's not even an option for him. And that is such a beautiful construction. I mean, for a story, that's fantastic. And we do so little with it. I'm not arguing. It's just the whole thing (laughs) comes together into a good enough, like an interesting, entertaining enough package for me. Oh, yeah. No, I find it completely infuriating. And by the end, I don't care. And for me... To, like, not care about Robert Downey Jr. Like, you haven't known me that long, but, like, Robert Downey Jr. is, like, my, like, I love Robert Downey Jr. almost, almost in an uncomfortable way. So for me to not care about something with Robert Downey Jr. is, like, it's got to be really, really bad. I, I think, I think I enjoy a lot of the setup of the ideas. Yeah. And then when they don't land, I forgive them. And... I shouldn't, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if I was going to be, like, real hardcore. But, again, we've talked about some of this alchemy of how this works where uh, it's like, no, I recognize what a mess it is. But altogether, it works for me, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I think that's um, great. And, yeah. And sometimes, I'm going to admit, sometimes I just like bonkers nonsense <laughs> and that you can cover a lot of ground with bonkers nonsense, mm-hmm. like Chekhov's repulsor high five. Right. <laughs> Now, it does not cover all the sins of this movie, uh-huh. but man, yeah. do I love that thing. No, I mean, and that's a fun, there are lots of like really fun moments and there are lots of fantastic ideas. And I think that for me, I see something that has potential and potential not reached by people mm-hmm. with this level of talent that I find frustrating. That drives me it's- crazy when you're close, when you almost have it, you know, and you couldn't get it together and it becomes this confusing mass of what the hell, you know? Um, I think that that for me makes it so frustrating that I, I'm just, I'm less forgiving in that circumstance. Lonnie, there are people listening to the show right now who have known me for years <laughs> that are wondering why you're saying all the stuff I usually say. <laughs> Cause you know, I can be the bad guy. 
<laughs> well, no, it's it's because I will say all the time, especially in superhero comics, which have kind of started to swallow their own tail yeah. sometimes, mm-hmm. how much I prefer a big, bold failure mm-hmm. than a banal success. Yeah. And that when those banal successes happen, it just may, leaves me standing there going, yeah, but you had so much potential. I don't. Right. You know. So you're saying stuff that I usually say. And, you know, I'm also prepared to admit that the reframing of Demon in a Bottle mm-hmm. might also be doing a big thing for me there. Oh, OK. All right. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So it's alcoholism in the comics, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And and I think it was actually very brave, very bold of them at the time to take one of their, you know, headline heroes, which is hard to say for Marvel because they kind of have a bu- – even their top tier is a bunch of backbenchers until they start making movies about them. Mm-hmm. It's so weird how comics work. <laughs> but, you know, one of their higher level operating heroes, and they just build an entire arc around his descent into alcoholism, mm-hmm. and they don't – They're still writing for a younger audience. They don't let him being a little bit drunk be the reason that he kills the diplomat. And they don't even flirt with that. It's obviously a malfunction from jump, Mm -hmm. right? So there's some places where they scale back. But regardless, it is an amazing story that works really, really well in a serialized format Mm -hmm. where you can watch him get worse issue by issue, right? No good for this movie at all. First of all, are you sure you want to saddle one of your actual headliners with alcoholism that you kind of have to roll with in every further movie. Yeah, you know, then are you, you got to sure? deal with that. Mm-hmm. Every time, right? right? It also, in the course of two hours, is not as interesting to watch him kind of sink into that. Yeah. But if you look at his self-destructive behavior as being tied to the fact that he essentially has a terminal illness and or is committing suicide, mm-hmm. man, that is really interesting yeah you know yeah now now this is a place where the movie fails us again because the the timetable of how soon he would be poisoned to death by the arc reactor if he didn't use the suit is really fuzzy yeah Mm -hmm. so it's hard to know if we're doing more of a terminal illness or a committing suicide thing so we get to play with a little bit of both Mm -hmm. but we never you know we don't just latch on to either one that's the thing like throughout this movie there are so many great things there are so many great choices and they don't choose they just run all of them that's fair you know and that and that drives me crazy too you know so i don't know i i loved the 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 drunk at the party scene i could have done without him peeing in a suit you know the question i get asked most often is tony how do you go to the bathroom in the suit just like that I don't know. I could have done without that. But um, but I mean, overall, like I thought it was it was really good. It was it was an opportunity for there to be something with him and Pepper, which is something else that is a real problem for me in this movie are the women. Well, we can talk about the women because you and I basically agree. Yeah. 100 percent on they aren't they don't give us a great look. With the ladies. No, I mean, like, actually, the characters are are pretty good. How they're treated by absolutely everyone. Terrible. Tony, especially. 
um, is is horrifying. And we do manage to have uh, Pepper and and Widow work pretty well together, pretty nicely together, until we get into this girl on girl misogyny again. Natalie, Miss Potts, oh, don't you Miss Potts me? I'm on to you. You know what? Ever since you came here, where Pepper blames Natasha for Tony's bad behavior. And just once, just once, I would like to see a man who behaves poorly held to account for it and the women in his life not blamed and pitted against each other as though he has absolutely no agency of his own. That drives me crazy. We see it a lot in real life. We see it a lot in movies. And I've absolutely had it with that nonsense. But the way that Tony treats Natasha from the jump drives me crazy. Will that be all, Mr. Stark? Yes, no. that will be all, Miss Rushman. Thank you very much. I want one. No. I want one? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, there's, there's like two separate streams of problems that sort of get bundled up yeah. between Pepper and Natasha mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. We left the last movie with them feeling as though they could have a romance. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of this movie, Tony finally makes her the actual boss. So it stops being creepy and gross. Yes, exactly. And she should have been CEO the whole time. You know, so I mean, Absolutely. yeah. But then because of his illness slash suicide storyline, yeah. he begins to act horribly to her and we're once again left with like why is she into him why is she even giving him the time of day i mean aside from she's running his company but like personally emotionally giving him any of her attention why like that woman can't do better than tony stark i think she can to be fair they put the romance story down yeah for basically the whole movie and then just pick it up for the last like 90 seconds. Right. I had no idea. I'm like, are they together? Are they not together? What is, and, and it's another thing. Like they didn't choose. They didn't say what this was, yeah. what this relationship is. And so during this process, you've no idea what exactly is going on. Now I believe Tony's response to Natasha. Yeah. Like that is partly her job. He is an easy sell even when he's not doing self-destructive things. Mm -hmm. What I don't buy is that he would talk to Pepper about it. Yeah. If they're having any kind of romantic times. And I, again, you're right. They didn't choose. I mean, I don't think that they were. They were just like, oh, hell, we got to have them kiss at the end, I guess. I guess. Yeah, right. And why? Like, after all of that, if anything should, you know, tell Pepper to go out and get on Tinder. I mean, it's that, you know? I mean, like, she needs Tinder. She does not need Tinder. Um, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> Pepper's like. To make Tinder so that I can join it. Right, exactly. Start tech. Make a dating app for me specifically just so that I can find it's somebody. only for CEOs. Yes, for CEOs, for very, very serious people because Pepper is serious business and Tony is not serious He's business not. in any way. Um, and you can forgive it in terms of this movie because, again, I really like that treatment of this thing that's keeping me alive and is making me who I really am is also literally killing yeah, me from the inside that. out and I don't know how to deal mm -hmm. with that. So, I mean, I can kind of forgive him from a story perspective, but the fact that she puts up with it at all 
and then comes around to him yeah. as a, as an actual viable romantic interest. Nobody calls They're so him on adorable it. together by the time we get to Avengers. Yeah, yeah. But here I'm just like, I'm not okay with this. Pepper, punch him. No, Pepper should totally slap him. Pepper should not kiss that man at the end of this movie. And, you know, Widow, I kind of like Widow because she has, she has no time. Like, this sexism is happening all around her. When she goes in with Happy. Stay in the car. I'm not staying in the car. I said stay in the car. What are you wearing? Look, I'm not letting you go in there alone. You want to help? Keep the car running. Okay. And then she ends up taking out like 14 guys and then Happy takes out one and he's so proud of himself and all that kind of stuff. Like, I felt like she was just like, I don't have time for your sexism. Like, I am so far beyond you and what you can do. Like, that's it, you know? So, I mean, Widow, I feel like never, she was never impressed with Tony. Tony said horrible things to her and she was just like, whatever, dude. Like, it didn't bother her because she knew she was better than him and she didn't care. But that Pepper still falls for this guy that we give him pepper at the end after the way that he has behaved toward her specifically and toward women in general i find to be it's just one of these like you know it's this trope of this long-suffering uptight woman who's got everything under control and she knows everything but she can't have fun and look how cute the man child is oh isn't he adorable oh yeah it's the patriarchy's version of the magical pixie dream girl it's terrible it's just it's awful and the fact that there is no consequence for him that he can behave like this and this is the thing like this is the these are the the messages that we send what is okay and what isn't okay when we have something in a movie we have somebody behaving horribly it's not that everybody has to behave perfectly all the time i like tony when he's misbehaving but give him a consequence for that bad behavior and show that it's not okay when you give him pepper at the end without a question without anything you know, you're saying, yeah, it's just adorable that he is this man child and he is going to ruin her life. Like she needs to get away from him. And now, you know, he's got to grow up. He's got to earn Pepper Potts. And he has not even come close to earning Pepper Potts. When he brings her three pounds of strawberries, the one thing that she's allergic to. Did you bring me strawberries? Did you know that there's only one thing on earth that I'm allergic to? Allergic to, to strawberries. This is progress, Pepper. I knew there was a correlation between you and this. I need you. I need you too. That's what I'm trying to. I'll tell you, the MCU pretty much wants you to think of Tony Stark as two thirds the villain Mm -hmm. for you know big chunks of its other phases, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't talk to me about fair and balanced approaches. You're punching Captain America. You're the bad guy. Right. 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 Yeah. I've been sort of fine with that. It's on these really close rewatches that I have also realized those seeds are 100% there from the beginning. I don't like him. Like, I can enjoy this movie very much. And when he's, um, you know, doing buddy cop stuff with Rhodey, love it. Mm -hmm. When he's being charming and and shutting down Senate hearings, love it. It's, It's very entertaining. But I'm also like, oh, I really don't like you. Which, again, is fine. Because you eventually you're going to have like an ensemble. Right. And and really you have an ensemble universe where I don't have to like everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, man, I'm going from you being the least likable to where I actively don't like you. And are you guys doing that on purpose? Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing, though. Like, it's his movie. 
he is the star of this movie. He is the protagonist. And it's okay if you have a flawed protagonist. As a matter of fact, I think that's awesome. But if you're going to give him flaws, you have to acknowledge those flaws and make sure that there are consequences for those flaws. And there are no consequences for Tony, you know, for the way that he behaves, for the way that he treats women, especially Pepper. And I find that just incredibly frustrating. There are no consequences for Tony is actually a statement that could make me revisit my approval of this movie on any level. <laughs> because it's true. He's instantly cured from dying. He gets Pepper. And you're when you keep describing it as giving him Pepper, that is really like yeah. twisting my stomach because you're right. Yeah. Not only has he not earned it, they have put no time in it. And it's just like, oh, it's the end. I guess we should give him all his prizes. Pepper is an object in this movie. And Pepper Potts yeah. is nobody's freaking object. Like, that's the thing that makes me nuts is that she is a good character. You know, there are good things that you could do with her. She's smarter than this. She's better than this. And she should know that she is better than him. And that she deserves better than him. And if at the end of this movie, with everything else being unchanged, if at the end of this movie, Pepper Potts had been like, yeah, I don't think so, and had walked away from him, and he knew that he had to earn her, I would have liked it a lot more. There's a rock bottom moment that could have happened right after he signs the company over to her where she could go, okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. By the way, uh, we're breaking up. By the way, this, this with us is done. You have no more power over me. Right. In any way. I'm a go. I'm a go, you know, but I mean, they just like there's there's a problem with women in the MCU in general. And part of that comes from, you know, the source material like this stuff was written in the 60s. You know, that's where it started to grow. And a lot of the presumptions and the, the cultural, you know, kind of ways that women are viewed you know, have kind of followed through because I think that a lot of the people making these movies haven't really thought about it. They're just kind of absorbing stuff from the original source material. But it's really important that you think about this stuff. And I think that one of the things that I do like about the MCU is that these are very real and very valid criticisms. And as we move forward in the MCU, it does. I mean, it's slow progression, but I think we make progression. I think there are people who are listening, you know, and so that's one of the things that makes me a little more forgiving. But this movie offends me. On so many levels, it offends me as a writer. It offends me as a woman, (laughs) you know. Um, It offends me as somebody who loves Robert Downey Jr. and really wants to be able to love Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) No, I I agree. I get it. I I don't even – I shouldn't even say I get it. I share these things Mm -hmm. like 100% or as far as I can without actually having their mess get on me because I am not a woman. (laughs) Right. But I mean, I mean, I'm livid that Marvel has this giant machine and DC's haphazardry was able to get a female-led superhero, successful superhero movie out ahead of them. Mm -hmm. And there's still years down the road from where you and I stand now. It's, well, at least a year. It's just, it's ridiculous. And and that when we do get really good, strong female portrayals, Mm -hmm. they can't be the headliner because I'm going to make, you know, big talk about how amazing Black Widow is in Winter Soldier. Right. And I think we are going to see amazing things from T'Challa's mom and sister in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. But that's still not their name on the poster. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, no, I mean, that's true. And yeah. I mean, God, let's, you know, people of color too. Good God. <laughs> the representation all over Marvel is 
is problematic and we're going to definitely be having a lot of those discussions. And the thing that drives me crazy too is that we have great widow in some spaces and then we have terrible mm-hmm. widow. It's so inconsistent. You know, yes. it's like every now and again we'll have good moments. We'll have good moments for Pepper. You know, we'll have some things happening. Um, and, you know, it does get better as we move through. You know, I haven't seen all of the most recent movies, but, you know, what I've seen, I, I do see a progression toward better representation, not just of women, but of people of color. I don't know. Do we have any LGBTQ characters at all? Have we got any representation? No, not officially, but I've got a head cannon for Captain America. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But I mean, these are the things that like we, we, everybody needs to see themselves in these superheroes. You know, I think yes. everybody needs to see themselves represented in, in, you know, these powerful people who fight for good. And I want everybody to see themselves represented. And I think that with the expanse of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially if you start looking into the TV shows, we do get much better we get a lot of good stuff happening for for women and people of color in the tv shows definitely um i was gonna say i feel like this is a big chunk of why you appreciate agents of shield so much oh it's a huge chunk of why i appreciate agents of shield it's why i love agent carter i love jessica jones um there's some great great stuff happening in in the television side of the mcu the movie side has been creaking its way <laughs> you know, through this. And Iron Man 2, I think, is the worst, most offensive um, instance of all of this. If they hadn't kissed at the end or if she had rebuffed him, I would actually have a complete about face mm-hmm. on Pepper in this movie. But as it is, that n- moment at the last 90 seconds of the movie just yeah casts a lot of shade backwards. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely does. It definitely does. It's really, really bad. Um, and, you know, Rhodey, like, I like Rhodey. I think he's good. I like Don Cheadle a lot. Um, So it was fun seeing him kind of, you know, he takes the suit, you know, the the thing that is this big identity thing for for Tony. But the fact that Tony has so many suits kind of undercuts that, how much the suit means to him. I think you're backfilling from later movies. I think at this point he only has three. Okay. I th- well, I thought there was minus a wall the briefcase. full of them in this movie, but maybe I missed. Maybe I maybe I, th- I overestimated okay, how okay. many there were. I'm not going to swear to it, but I think that at a mo- he clearly he's got the one in the suitcase, yeah. right? So that's but that's like a one off, right? He's, that one's that's never the disposable working again. one, right? <laughs> um, but I think maybe there was more than one in a state of disrepair mm-hmm. or partial building. Yeah, but I think it was the like original tin can yeah. that he escaped in. The one he'd been wearing around, and then the the unfinished one that became War Machine. I think. Okay. All right. I don't know. It felt to me like you got a you got a bunch of them. And yes, I do remember there was like it was like Mark forty two by the time we get to like Iron Man three or something like that. Right, because it's a plot. Because there's so many there. of them, right? You know, but yeah. he can always build more. Like that's a thing. Like you know, I mean, so I don't know. Like I guess the the connection to identity and the connection to the suit. And that he has multiple suits. So when Rhodey takes one of them and brings him to the military, I'm like, all right, you know, Tony's got unlimited resources. He can always build another one, you know. Um, so at that point, and he, you know, and he let, you know, because they say, you, you know, he has a system in place to keep people from taking, you know, unauthorized taking the suit without authorization, right? So we know that he let, Rhodey take the suit anyway so that line of conflict is kind of undercut as well 
Um, that's that's one of those places where I'm prepared to do the work. Yeah. Because I like the bits of it so much. Mm-hmm. Like part of the identity thing is that Tony Stark is sponsoring world peace incidentally. Yeah. And that has to rankle your best friend who is a lieutenant colonel in the military. Mm-hmm. But they don't really deal with that. It's just kind of background. Yeah. They don't really fill in like any conflict between them it just seems like Rhodey is annoyed with you know with what Tony's doing which makes sense and you know they have that little fight and everything and I mean that's that's good but we don't really follow it all the way through and then in the end you know Rhodey is all of his agency is taken away from him because he's being controlled by Vanko you know his suit is being controlled by Vanko and he can't do anything he can't do anything and Tony doesn't even really solve that yeah Jarvis does so it's yeah there's the the idea of giving away one of your most prized possessions mm-hmm. is I, I have done very little reading on this, but there has been enough like uh, um, situations in my life where it's something that I I have tried to be more aware mm-hmm. of not not for myself necessarily, but for uh, for friends and family. Mm-hmm. But giving away your most cherished possessions for little or no value is one of those tip offs that somebody is doing something self-destructive to themselves. Uh-huh. Like it's a potential, right. th- this is a person who might be contemplating suicide, suicide or something yeah. like that. But, see, but he doesn't give it away. Like, I mean, the thing is, Rody takes well, it. He allows Rody to take it, but that's Rody doing that. So it yes, feels a little I'm different. I'm tying those together because they're dudes swinging their iron men around. Yes. <laughs> Right. And we do have him, Tony, Uh giving away his art for next to nothing at the beginning that I'm tying that thread together. Like, it's not. Anyway, again, I'm recognizing all anew how much work I'm prepared to do for Iron Man 2. (laughs) I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Um, The other thing, though, and I I may need you to explain this to me because it could be just that I'm, I'm missing something. But I was so confused by the timeline of this story. Like... How long does Stark Expo last? Because he he shows up at the beginning. You know, we'll say that's the beginning of Stark Expo, right? You know, he mm-hmm. does that big show. He's got all the women with the arc reactors between their boobs, which whatever. Um, well, we may have mentioned there's some problems with there's, ladies. There's definite problems with, with women in this, uh, in this movie. So he does that. And then between the opening and the final confrontation, we have a Senate hearing. We have a race in Monte Carlo. We have Tony fighting Anton Vanko. Vanko goes to jail and gets broken out. And there has to be some time for that. Like, he builds an army full of drones and he gets a suit. You know, um, Tony yeah. gets drunk at his birthday party. He fights with Rhodey. Rhodey steals the suit. The Air Force gets Hammer in, buys the tech to upgrade the suit. I mean, this shit takes time. Like, it takes time to upgrade a suit. You know, it takes time to get all the tech in. It takes time for getting the purchase orders done, you know, in order to buy the tech. Oh, my gosh. No, seriously. Like, all of this stuff takes serious time. And I'm looking at all of this, and it's still Stark Expo at the end, except for Hammer is presenting at Stark Expo. Like, why is Hammer there presenting? Like it's Stark Expo and Hammer and Stark hate each other. So what is that about? Like none of this made any sense to me. And as I'm just trying, and I don't need like every detail to be, because God, nobody wants a movie that's explaining every detail. But I mean, it's got to like make some kind of temporal sense, right? At the beginning, Mm -hmm. Tony says that Stark Expo will be open for one year. 
at Expo lasts a year? Yeah, it's like a World's Fair. Okay. For a weapons manufacturer? Like, the World's Fair is one thing. Now, I super love the whole idea of World's Fairs. (laughs) And that is the immediate thing that I thought of, especially when they started talking about how Howard had done one in 1973 or whatever. Right, right. And he does, Tony does talk about, like, the best and the brightest are going to be demonstrating things and showing what they're discovering and things like that. And I mean, they let Justin Hammer in, so clearly it's not all best and brightest. But, right. Okay, you know. so, but that level of of pomp and circumstance for a year. I mean, it's one thing if it if it felt like a theme park, you know, but it does. Okay, so, well, I guess that makes sense then. Because when I okay, think about Lonnie. an expo, I think about a long weekend, you know, and I'm like, how okay. do they have time for all of this? Off mic, yes. I will nerd out with you about the world's fairs <laughs> because they were incredible and went on for at least a year. Right. No, a world's fair. I can see start. Well, Expo that's... feels to me like a, a business, you know, like a con. Yeah, no, I think that's the thing. We're supposed to see it as a world's fair Equivalent. only instead of the world. It's Tony Stark, baby. Yeah, right. And I think that's where it could falls down for me. And now I'm realizing that I'm backfilling this movie and I didn't even realize yeah. it. <laughs> because I know and really appreciate World's Fairs. <laughs> yes, no, I think that's awesome. Like I and I like the World's Fair I can understand. I just didn't follow the expo thing. That's what I was assuming from minute one, but at least it did take a year. He did say it would be a year. Okay, it took a year. If he said that, then okay, then I, I give it I give it back that's fine I just didn't I, none of it made any sense to me there was so much stuff going on it just didn't it didn't work for me so is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with Iron Man is there anything else before we get to our favorite parts oh no I think I dare you to share your favorite part of this movie Uh-oh. that you despise I and know I do my favorite part I mean I gotta tell you superheroes it's all about identity for me those are the stories that's where the story has the crunch for me um but i really love i am iron man i am iron man the suit and i are one to turn over the iron man suit would be to turn over myself which is tantamount to indentured servitude or prostitution depending on what state you're in can't have it i love that i feel like having multiple suits kind of undercuts the power of that a little bit um Mm -hmm. but but I really, I, I love, like, where they were going, the potential of that identity story as being the anchor of Iron Man 2. I think they, they failed to, to sell it. They failed to make it work. But I love that idea. Yeah, I agree with you. I like that a lot. And I think you even get a titch of Tony's natural, constant self-loathing. Mm-hmm mixed into that when he is talking to Rhodey and he says, and again, this is a little bit of an Easter egg, but people who write dialogue can make Easter eggs that matter when he's like, you want a shot at being the war machine? Mm -hmm. Put your hand down. You think you got what it takes to wear that suit? We don't have to do this, Tony. You want to be the war machine? Take your shot. Put it down. You going to take a shot? Put it down. No. Drop it, Tony. Take it. He's a guy who's disavowed building weapons and in his quiet heart of hearts believes himself to still be a war machine. Right. Man. So, yeah, I'm, I like that a lot. I do wish that they had stuck the landing better, especially because I love those opposite number villains. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it could have been really great. So what was your favorite part? Somewhere, some meeting in the middle between the Chekhov's Repulsor High Five <laughs> and the buddy cop movie that we didn't get. <laughs> so your favorite part was the thing we didn't get. <laughs> well, no, because we get glimpses we of do. it. We do. We do. We get a little bit. 
they are so Tony and Rhodey are so great together when they are both in suits mm-hmm. on the same side, yeah. working together. Mm-hmm. That little argument about who was going to go. They're coming in hot. Any second, what's the play? Well, we want to take the high ground, okay? So let's okay. put the biggest gun up on that ridge. Gotcha. Where do you want to be? Where are you going? What are you talking about? I mean, you have me. a big gun. You are not the big gun. Are you telling me we couldn't watch two straight hours of that and just love it? Yeah, I, mean, I would love to see the the relationship film, you know, with Tony and Rhodey. Um, you know, I, I think that would be really, really great. But we always, Rhodey is so sidelined. He is so oh, secondary, yeah. you know? And you yes. need to have somebody who, you know, who has the narrative weight, you know, that he can stand toe-to-toe with Tony. But we barely give Rhodey, you know, some flirty eyelashes in this movie. He just kind of shows up <laughs> a little bit and we're like, okay. When they do it, when they do it, it it's makes great. me believe they could do when it. When they do it, it's you know. great. And I love Don Cheadle in that role. I just think that they could they could give him an actual something to be aside from the sidekick. I mean, he's he's you know, he's not he's he gets more than Pepper. He gets more to do and he's more interesting than Pepper in this movie. But, you know, not by a lot. I, I think that's why the glimpses yeah. are my fave. Yeah. No, I, I, I am. Ima- wow. I do a lot of Iron Man 2's heavy lifting and I don't even care. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it, though, because there's there is a lot to enjoy in this movie. If you take the moment to moment scene work, you know, there's good stuff going on there. And there's there's some fun stuff and the actors are doing good work and the special effects. Absolutely. I I loved Whiplash. I thought the way that they represented him visually was was really, really great. All the way to making Mickey Rourke's hair kind of look like a bird. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, Mickey Rourke, really, we kind of glossed over yeah. him. He is so scary and weird. Yeah. No, he is. He does a great job with this. I don't know what a Russian gangster physicist would look like in real life, but I'm prepared to accept that it's Mickey Rourke I in this role. Definitely. Definitely. I'm also prepared to accept that. Look, we had a team favorite part. Yeah, there we go. We got it. We worked together. We worked together, man. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up, A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of 2010's Thor. Can even Josh's suggestions of reading material make me like a dumb hero? We're going to find out. Look, if Thor the Mighty Avenger can't make you love Thor at least a little bit, then you might just be a communist robot. But if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is ListenUpAholes. Yes, both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you, and you are our heroes. Show your support by visiting our Patreon pages or leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. The links to Apple Podcasts and both of our Patreon pages are easy to find right there in the show notes. Until next time, if you attempt to leave or play any games, I will tase you and watch Super Nanny while you drool into the carpet. We can thank this story. No, that's, what am I, English? What? (laughs) Wait, hang on. I have a cat that has been quiet all afternoon while I worked. But now she's like, I've had enough of this room, yo. Exactly. (laughs) She hears me talking and she wants the attention. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye-bye.
She was she fine when you were working quietly. Lonnie. When I was working quietly, she was fine. But when I start talking, she's like, oh, I can say something. <laughs> so, all right, let me get myself back into position here as I move and shift around in my office. Okay, uh, just a second. All right. All right, I can be quiet now. Go ahead. 